Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Dr. Stefan Meyer on the line. Doctor, how are you? Thanks for having me here. Greetings from Frankfurt, Germany. Greetings from Toronto, Ontario. Good to speak with you. So uh, you do some amazing work. So why don't you share with the audience a little bit about you, and then we're going uh, to get into the conversation about uh, your sacred cow. So uh, tell a little bit about us. Yes, I am working as a change management expert or what they used to call change management in those days when I started 25 years ago. Now they would probably call it digital transformation or something like that. I started my career with Accenture and am self-employed for 20 years now. So I've seen many, many different change initiatives and I made one observation. I, from my point of view, there are at least two different kinds of change. So the majority of that is what I call the, the gradual change, the slight change, the step-by-step -step change where not too much is going on. Mostly it's like we have to do some change. It's more of a cosmetic thing and nothing much changes afterwards and um, nothing really happens. And there's not much room for improvement in, in, in those kinds of change. But there's also on a much rarer occasion the the, the kind of change that I call the radical change, which is more like a change of the rules of the game. And I found this kind of change much more interesting. And then I tried to find out more about it. And I made the discovery that there's not much literature about it and even less scientific research. So I did exactly that. I started my own research. I had to go to a university to England to do that because in Germany, at the German university, they told me this kind of interdisciplinary research between somewhere between business administration and psychology that's not allowed in Germany. It's verboten. Of course, that's complete nonsense, but that's that's what they told me. So I went to England and I did my research there. And, and what I did was I talked to experts who had multiple experiences with, with radical change uh, throughout their lives. I started with interim managers from Germany, first of all. And then I had a lunch with an American business uh, friend and he asked me, so why don't you also interview some interim managers from the States? And I said, we have a deal. So I continued doing that. And later on, my supervising professor suggested I added some more different points of view. So I also talked to uh, consultants and blind managers with experience in radical change. And since I was already on my way doing it on an international basis. I talked to experts from all in all four different continents in the world. So now I gathered all these insights about radical change and I try to condense it into one simple thing. And that's what, what my result of it and my the core of my findings is what I call the sacred cow framework, which is a framework of my almost 200 different insights from all the interviews pressed into one neat little framework. We can't wait to dive into that, but I want to chime in with one thing with, with radical change. Let's talk a little bit about the COVID-19 pandemic and organizations. And uh, a lot of organizations have maybe reluctantly uh, implemented some radical change in how they do business and, and all of that. So I'd love to hear your insights on that real quick before we dive into the, the sacred yes, research. I gladly talk about that because that actually is uh, one of the core, my core findings. 
I, I had a long-term interviews with my respondents up to two hours and I had a long list of questions, but there was one question I consider to be the most interesting, at least from my point of view. And that was the question, does every organization need a radical change every now and then, yes or no? Because my thought behind it was, if the answer to that is yes, then we have to completely rethink how leadership is run and what what an, an entrepreneur should be capable of doing. Because if the answer is yes, then everyone should have at least some basic knowledge about radical change. So I asked my respondents and, well, this is science. Half of them said yes and the other half said no. So one half of them said yes, every organization needs a radical change every few years preferably before the crisis hits you. That was one group of believers, if you want to call them that way. And the other half said, no, on principle, radical change is a good thing, but you don't need it in any case. You need it under three uh, prerequisites. And they told me these three prerequisites. And I asked, so what are they? And what I heard was, uh, first of all, if there's a change in the law, in other words, your business model becomes illegal, that's always a good reason for changing. Uh, the second is um, 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 progress in technology, which basically leads you into the situation that your competitors look more modern than you do in the eye of the customer because your competitors have these modern fancy ways of doing things and you are still doing it the old way and that's also a good reason for change. And lastly, the third prerequisite was events of higher power, such as 9-11 or a pandemic, which actually might, may be a good reason for you to completely rethink what you're doing. So, Whichever group you belong to, either you believe radical change anyway, or the other is radical change only under certain circumstances, of which one or two or even three might be applicable to you right now, is always a good reason to evaluate, do I presently need a radical change, yes or no? That's a great question. And if you asked me that question, I would answer yes, um, because I, I see organizations, especially over the last, I would say, decade, how business is conducted, you know, it has changed quite a bit. And you've got diff, you know, different technologies that can be used to expand and you know, work across the globe without having to leave where you live. You also have, well, we've got four generations that are working in some organizations. Now you've got the baby boomers, Generation X, the millennials, and now Gen Z or Gen Z, depending on you know, what part of the world you're from that are all working in, in, in entities and each one of those demographics have different interests and desires and experiences. So organizations need to adjust uh, to be able to address those things. And in many cases, they need to um, do something dramatic. Now, a lot of the organizations out there that are quite static um, are reluctant to change. I'll pick on one company, General Motors, for example personally know what you know what that world looks like um, they've been very slow to change for many years but in in recent you know memory with their you know their latest ceo you know they're pivoting from gas powered to all electric type vehicles you know within the next decade or so so that is a huge change for an organization like them uh, but when you encounter organizations that are reluctant to change, you know, what are, what are some of the common responses that they give you? 
Um, my general impression is that people in general are very open to change. They see that there's a necessity to change and maybe they're even used to doing change on a regular basis. The, the big resistance is to radical change. So many people tell me something such as, well, change, of course, we have our department for change or we have our internal consultants and we have our methodology and there's everything you need to know about change. But we don't need radical change. You know, people are very skeptical about this and we, we I change. Okay. But we don't need radical change. And then I say, Oh, really? So just imagine for a minute, you were the prime minister of Britain and your big challenge would be to modernize the country. And then you think, well, almost the entire civilized world drives on the right side of the road. It's just us here in England driving on the left side of the road. Why don't we just make a little progress? Why don't we just adapt to international standards and switching to driving on the right side of the road? That's your first thought. And your second thought is, well, that may be a good idea, but maybe people are overwhelmed and you must take the people step by step to the new kind of change. So you draft a plan and your plan is on the first day only the trucks drive on the right side of the road, second day also the buses and third day lastly everyone drives on the right side of the road. And everyone can clearly see this is never going to work out. So what I want to say with that is there are situations where radical change is the only option you have and there's no other option. Makes sense and I'm just trying to imagine what kind of a shift that would be for our friends in, in England to make that adjustment and I've never driven in in England uh, don't ever plan to I, I whenever I travel I tend to use some type of ride share or taxi service or something like that because uh, you, you never know what you know the driving standards are like and I'd much rather just you know go with somebody that hopefully knows what they're doing on there so let's dive into uh, the sacred cow research you know, in all mm -hmm. the conversations. So, you know, what were your findings? And I know we talked in the pre-show about this, you know, that there's some great findings on there. So let's dive into that. So share with us uh, your findings. Yes. So um, I talked to these three different groups, the um, interim managers, the consultants and the line managers. So one of my observations was that although the groups are equally experienced with the radical change, they have different ways of talking about it. So, my impression is that interim managers very much have a gut feeling about what is correct leadership and what is not correct leadership. And some of them are really not that, don't always know how to express themselves or how to put it in words and uh, but they have strong emotions about it and they, they almost get sick or get uh, a bad feeling in their tummy when they see a company that's run badly with bad leadership. So they have a, a strong conviction about how a, a company is supposed to be run and they try to improve on that. Once they are in the role of an interim manager, they usually have a mandate of one year or two years and then they are in uh, in, in the challenge of completely redefining how the organization is run. But it's, um, it's much more from an internal feeling of what is right and how this has to be done. And the complete opposite of that was the consultants I talked to. They are very much acting from inside their heads. So they have all these different business models in their heads. And basically they say, okay, this is the one model I would suggest to use in this situation. But if it doesn't fit, I also have another one. 
and we can equally switch between these two. So they're very, they come from a very intellectual um, background and they always have, very often have academic degrees and they also have experience and talking about it, they are very often also in the role of a trainer or public speaker or something like this. So, um, yes, they are very keen on on talking about can always explain and are very flexible in the way they argue about how to organize change and lastly the line managers are somewhere in the middle between these two groups so although interim managers and consultants have a very similar kind of job and have a very similar challenge they have different a different approach of uh, getting to the task and, and, and getting it done um, when I built my sacred cow framework, it, it was a an, an effort of putting all these 200 findings, which are just too many to keep them all around in your head at the same time, and somehow condense it. And the sacred cow framework, of course, sacred cow is an acronym, and every letter stands for something. It's also a matrix, so it's sacred times cow. In other words, 18 different challenges, 18 different leadership challenges you have to take into consideration when initiating a radical change. So in other words, when you're in the midst of a radical change and you think, did I think of everything? Did I maybe oversee something? Then you can take the sacred cow framework and take a closer look if there's anything you probably have overlooked and you should still integrate in your change initiative. I don't want to go too deeply into the sacred cow framework at the moment because it's very complex, but I would rather suggest to give you an example at a, at a company um, that actually existed and that, from my point of view, completely ignored the sacred cows. And in order to explain this, I developed a, a simpler model that I called the cow canvas. The cow canvas is a sequence of six questions. And if you ask yourself these six questions, you have a better understanding if you, in your situation as a decision maker, actually need a sacred cow or need, need a radical change because you have your own sacred cow. So I'd like you to go uh, through um, the example with me. So imagine for a minute you live in the 1970s in Germany. That's where my youth was and that tells you how old I am. So in those times when you wanted to listen to music, there weren't that many options. Television was horrible. There weren't that many um, musical um, uh, shows and uh, also radio was not much better so there was only one option if you really knew what kind of music you listen to and you like to to listen to pop and rock music especially if you already know what kind of artists you like to go to listen to there was only one option you would go to the record store and buy one of these big black vinyl records and with the record under your arm you would go home why would you go home because that's where your record player was at mostly in the living room. So in those times, there was one leading brand of record players in Germany. It was kind of the premium brand. It was kind of the Mercedes of record players. The company was called Dual, D-U-A-L. So everyone who highly esteemed their own expertship in music, they would have a Dual record player at home. And you might wonder if they were such a leading premium brand, why aren't they around anymore? They completely disappeared from the market. They went bankrupt. Now there's different companies that bought the rights to use that brand, but the original company just completely disappeared. And I claim the reason for that is because they completely ignored their sacred cows. So if I go through the sacred cow canvas, I would ask these six questions. The first question is, what does my customer get? And that's very easy to answer. If you buy some something from the company Dual, you would get a record player. 
The second question is, what is the sacred cow? And in this situation, it means your sacred cow is, what do I think of myself? Who am I? What am I doing? And if you would have asked the employees of Dual in those times, so what, what are you doing? They would say, well, we are in the record, in the business of building record players. So building record players, that's what we do. And then the third question is, okay, so, but what's the taboo? The taboo is what everybody knows and nobody dares to talk about in the open. So the taboo is, um, why do People buy record players. Well, they buy record players because they want to listen to music. Everybody knows that. And it's just because they want to listen to music, they buy these record players. But what if one day there would be a different way of getting access to your music, like a more advanced way, a more modern way, a more fashionate way, a more elegant way, a cheaper way, a quicker way, whatever. So once this other option um, arises, people wouldn't have any more need to buy a record player. That's, that's the taboo. Everybody probably knew that, but nobody thought it would, that moment would ever come. Step number four. What is the essence behind it? What is the realness behind it? So what we know is people buy a record player because they want to listen to music, but why do they want to listen to music? I would say, I would suggest people want to listen to music because music makes them feel good. That's actually what the business is about. So in other words, they buy record players because they want to feel good. Step number five. So instead of asking yourself, what is your sacred cow? The question now is what would be a radical change? How could you change your understanding of who you are and what you do in order to be more in, in uh, congruence with that new insight you have? So instead of saying we are in the business of building record players, you could think, you could redefine yourself and say, we are in the business of providing music. We help people get access to music so they can feel good. That's what it's all about. And the last step is not what your customer gets, but what your customer should get. So the last step is if you have understood that you are in the in the business of providing music, then your customer shouldn't get a record player. They should get access to music. So in order to help them feel better, you, you help people feel better by giving them access to music. That's exactly what you do. And I claim, I maintain, if people at the company Dual would have understood that in those days, they could still be around. They could be a leading international music provider brand. They could be the leading internet portal for music. They could be the leading streaming service for music, whatever. If they only understood that they don't need a record player in order to provide music. So what I want to say by this is, it's just, this is just an example and this is this is um, applicable in any industry whatsoever always be careful about what are your sacred cows what are your beliefs and maybe not now is the the proper situation to redefine who you are and what you do and if you do that on time you always have a chance to be around because you're not stuck with the sacred cows that completely um provide you seeing into the future and completely block your view of the horizon if you just take care of your sacred cows in, in time. That's an amazing list of things and it's just six questions. You know, a lot yeah. of times when when people are thinking, okay, we have to take a deep dive look into the organization, they think, okay, we're going to be dealing with you know, hundreds and hundreds of situations. It's like, no, here's, here's six questions. Of course, they are deep thought-provoking questions, but they're still 
able to flush out some things and and really you know check some things out. And you know, as you were talking about, a, you know, a organization that I'm familiar with came to mind, and they've they've had some radical change over the the recent you know couple of years, but for over two decades prior to that, there really wasn't any change. I mean, nothing. I, it was just they put it in cruise control and just existed. And finally, it took a warning and you know, death of their founder um, for them to go, ooh, maybe we need to look at things a little bit differently. Uh, and they did. And of course, you know, they're going about it methodically, but they're still going through and implementing some new initiatives and, and new ways of approaching things, which in the long term, I think is going to help them with their survival and, and create the opportunities for growth. Because again, they were quite stagnant. You know, they weren't growing, they weren't shrinking, they were just existing, and you know, they were able to to get away with that, quite frankly, for for over two decades. But uh, it you know, it, it took the death of their founder to you know, uh, shake things up a little bit. And you know, thankfully for them and and the clients that they serve, uh, there's there's a benefit from that. Yeah, my impression is that very often. The biggest challenge about change is not the technology, it's the people. And I was involved in a project in the 1990s with Deutsche Bahn, that's German Railways. We only have one big railway provider in Germany. And our project was about providing a ticket service via the Internet. And in the 90s, that was quite a rather new thing. So we were pioneers and the technology was very primitive compared to what we have today. So it was technology was quite a challenge, but an even bigger challenge was the resistant inside the company Deutsche Bahn because high-ranking managers and even members of the board resisted this option. They say, oh no, we don't really need this. This internet thing is never going to work out. And also our passengers, they love it the way we're doing it. They love to arrive much earlier at the train station if you want to, if they want to start train it. Go to the booth and stand in line for half an hour or for an hour in order to get a ticket printed out and back the grim-faced train official to to give them a, a ticket people love it that way because that's the way they they used to doing it and now if you if you tell it to young people today who, who never experienced that who are just who say it's quite normal to buy your train ticket over the internet if you if you tell it to them they they just don't believe you that there were times where, where you had to stand in line for half an hour to get your ticket it's just so normal today to do it you know, the modern way but in those times we really had to fight hard in order to convince the people and get the people on board for this new fancy technology. It's amazing. And, you know, we're, I, I'm guessing around the same age because I grew up in the seventies and in the States and, um, you know, thinking back then to what we have today, you know, it's a completely different world and it forced radical change amongst, you know, every industry travel definitely is one of them. Um, where you know we use our smartphones, and you know a lot of people don't even have a printer at home to print anything. It's like, why would I print anything? Everything's on my phone. I don't need to print anything. So it's amazing how we've transformed so much in such a short period of time. So, Stefan, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you, um, this wonderful work you're doing with with Sacred Cows, and everything else? 
Yes, I have a website which is currently only in English, so just uh, the right language for your audience. It's called stefanmeyer.com and the alternative name for that is sacredcow.expert in one word, sacredcow in one word, dot expert. Believe it or not, expert is a top level domain, so you can also, if you don't know how to write my name, type in sacredcow.expert, you will find me. Also, I have a Twitter account with five pieces of advice about radical change every day. So it's always worth uh, checking that out as well. And you can always find me on LinkedIn and all the other social media. My name, Stefan Meyer, is one of the most often used names in the German language area. But if you type in Stefan Meyer, sacred cow, you always have a good chance of finding me. And I'll definitely have those in the show notes so people can find you a little bit easier uh, in case they, they're um, trying to look you up on, on social media and all that. So, Doctor, thank you again for the work you're doing and also uh, for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.